because people have got to know whether or not their president's a crook. Well, I'm not a crook. I told the American people I did not trade arms for hostages. My heart and my best intentions still tell me that's true, but the facts and the evidence tell me it is not. I did not have sexual relations with that woman. There will be no lies. We will honor the American people with the truth and nothing else. I'm Michael Isagoff, Chief Investigative Correspondent for Yahoo News. And I'm Dan Clydman, Editor-in-Chief of Yahoo News. And uh, we've got with us today on day three of our coverage of the Democratic National Committee virtual convention, one of our favorite guests, Debbie Dingell, Congresswoman from Michigan, who has quite a track record of seeing around the corner in political races. We're going to tell you about that in a moment, because I think she's got some quite interesting things to say about how this presidential race is shaping up. Well, uh, we've both known Debbie Dingell for uh, a long time, uh, a fixture on the Washington scene before she was actually in Congress, having succeeded her husband, the legendary John uh, Dingell. But uh, it's great having her on the show. She uh, is always uh, blunt and pretty direct, sometimes willing to get herself into a little bit of trouble uh, with her own party. So we're hoping she'll do that this time as well. All right. Well, enough of us. Let's get to Debbie Dingle. We now have with us Congresswoman Debbie Dingell of Michigan. Congresswoman, welcome back to Skullduggery. It's great to be with both of you and to see people I know <laughs> in this COVID boxed world of ours. So I remember vividly the Democratic Convention in Philadelphia four years ago talking to you, and you were warning Michigan was in play and could go to Trump, something nobody else was saying at that point. And uh, boy, were you right. As you look at things right now, how does it look? You know, it depends which day, which hour, which group I've left. I mean, when we saw a poll that showed Joe Biden up 16 points, I I didn't believe her for one second. And it's the same group that kept saying that there was no way that Hillary Clinton could lose in Michigan four years ago. I think that Donald Trump has so mismanaged COVID that you talk to people and they're really scared about their lives and what's happening. And you begin to think people just want calm. They just want soothing waters and they want the hearts and souls of America to be calmed down. But I'm out again, probably more than I should be. I'm being very careful. I'm masked up, keeping my physical distance. But I'm at farmer's markets, and I've gone to marches and community vigils and veterans events, and I'm hearing all kinds of things again. And I think it's a long time between now and November. When you say all kinds of things, what do you mean? There are people that are very point-blank voting for Donald Trump again. There, my antenna is just up. I think there's a whole group in the middle that is very upset. The the people that voted for Hillary are voting for Hillary. The people, but not everybody who voted for Donald Trump last time is necessarily going to vote for him this time, but they haven't made up their minds. They are stressed about COVID, do not believe that COVID has been handled right. But there are also a lot of people in Michigan that are angry at the governor for stay at home orders. 
They aren't sure about the economy. And I think we've got to work really hard to make sure every single voter turns out in November. Congresswoman, I think the last time around, you talked about being out in Ypsilanti. Am I pronouncing it right? Ypsilanti, uh, one near, of them. Yep. Near Ann Arbor and uh, just seeing most of the houses having Trump signs. I don't know if you've had a chance to go back to that area. What are you what's what are you seeing in terms of the lawn sign primary? Who's winning that right now? So I there are a couple of signs out already in Ipsy. The reason that Ypsilanti had so concerned me is that is typically a Democratic area. My district is one of those. It, some people say it's one of the few truly diverse districts left in the country. But I have Ann Arbor, which is progressive, and I have the down rivers that voted for Donald Trump last time. Donald Trump is winning the sign war. <laughs> if you if signs voted, he would be winning down river already. I, if you'll recall, four years ago, I thought trade was a very big issue. I thought that the president, President Trump, had identified that as an issue took it for for far more seriously than Hillary Clinton did at the time. TPP was a big issue. People forget about these things four years later. And that none of the auto workers still haven't recovered from what happened in 2008 in are their jobs ever safe. But one of the issues I'm going to identify for you this time that I think is trade's there, but it's not you know, they don't know quite who to believe. They want their jobs to come back home. People understand supply chain, but law enforcement and uh, support of law enforcement is an issue I am seeing in the suburbs is an issue we really do need to pay attention to, the defund the police. And what does it really mean is something that I have said to people for some several weeks is an issue I'm worried about. How do you see Joe Biden handling that issue? And have you conveyed this to either him or his campaign? I have, and they've been very clear that they are opposed to the defund the police movement and that he is a strong supporter of community policing. What you are seeing is, you've seen that what's happening in the urban cities and some of this crime and just these, the violence that you're seeing in some of these protests. And Donald Trump is trying to use it as a wedge issue. We have to, my, I go to, I went to all the Black Lives Matter events in my district, but I also almost every weekend now there is a support the law, a law enforcement event in one of my communities. And I go to those as well because I know many of those men and women, they have been a glue during this pandemic. They do wellness calls, they respond to domestic violence, they're so they're, they're the glue of a lot of the communities as well. There are bad apples in law enforcement, and we have to have the discussion about systematic racism in this country. And it is a fact that a young black man will be treated differently than a young white man if stopped. But we can have both discussions, and too many people are afraid of having uncomfortable discussions. And that is a mistake for us as Democrats if we avoid the discussion because we don't want to have it. Donald Trump is trying to use it as a wedge issue, and we can't let him do that. It's so interesting that you said that about the uh, crime and law enforcement issue, because it's it's been clear to me, uh, you know, for some weeks, if not months now, that this was Trump's one play. And in part because 
we have seen a real spike in violence, in murders, in many of our major cities since the Black Lives Matter protests began. And that, you know, in some respects, I wonder whether there's anything the Biden campaign can say about it. The the real driver here for the president is, A, the spikes are real, and B, the tendency among many of your fellow Democrats to not want to talk about it. So what's your advice to your fellow Democrats about what they need to say to address this issue? They need to not be uncomfortable about it. That is why I go to every event there is. Every Sunday, the last month, there's been an event in my district, and I'm there, and I'm thanking the law enforcement for what they do. But I, I, And I'm working with my Black Lives Matter and Survivor Speak groups, and they're making it very clear that, well, one of the groups, Survivor Speaks, one of the, the women that heads that, is that she is trying to have the discussion about racial inequality, but she's not attacking the police either. I facilitated a discussion with them with one of the police departments this past week so that people are really having dialogue. But you are right about, you know, this COVID is just creating a lot of stress. I have had several really tragic murders in my district alone. A family of four was killed last weekend. Another family was, and it's, but it's in those communities, it's the law enforcement. It's the local police and the sheriff's departments that are going in, figuring out what's wrong, finding the perpetrators, arresting them. A lot of them have been not the violent kind of crime we think of sometimes when we talk about burglaries or the violence, and we can talk about the protests in the cities, but they've been family members that have snapped. They've been people just, there are so many different things that are going on out there right now. And what we need to understand is that our law enforcement really have, like our teachers, our social workers. So domestic abuse is really on the rise. Or, you know, we've got vets that have post-traumatic stress or people that have mental health issues. And who's the first person on the, that's responding to those? And in many cases, I work with them. I have people with mental health issues that come to my congressional office. I don't want to put them in jail. I want to get them the help they need. And many of the law enforcement I work with want to do exactly that. And so what we need to do is invest in making sure that they've got the tools and the support that they need and reinvest in mental health, period, in this country. But I, I'm not afraid. It's an uncomfortable discussion, but I'm having it because I'm not giving this to Donald Trump as a wedge issue. Well, let me ask you, let me just follow up on, on Mike's question in terms of what the Democrats should do, but specifically what Joe Biden, because, you know, he has done so many of these town halls and Zoom interviews, you know, about uh, systemic racism, about coronavirus, about the challenges of working families. I'm not aware that he has done something like that, supporting or acknowledging law enforcement. Is that something that you think he ought to do? Uh, we all remember in the 90s, you know, Democratic politicians who would stand with, you know, flanked by police, going for police uh, in, uh, union endorsements. Bill Clinton did it. Joe Biden did it. They don't do that anymore. Should Biden do something like that, even if it's symbolic? I got to think about that because, I mean, some of the police unions are fighting some things that aren't, that we shouldn't be doing. I mean, every body camera should be on. If you have a policeman 
such as the individual that murdered George Floyd and had 18 complaints against him, we should know about that. You, sh that you should be able to have a registry that people are able to track that and identify people who have problems. And some of these police unions have been fighting against some of those things. But I think he probably knows a lot of law enforcement like I do that he should be talking to. I mean, I went you know, I said, I've got so many stories. And even in just last month, I went to my hometown's Dearborn and I went to a law enforcement event there. And they actually give an award there in John Dingle's name that was created a couple of years ago. And those guys were so demoralized and talking to me so honestly. And I had a young, also a son of Dearborn, 26 years old, two young kids whose parents still live in Dearborn, all and all the kids that went to school with him are still there. He was a policeman in Toledo and he was shot and killed on the 4th of July, answering just a drunken incident in a Home Depot parking lot. And he wrote a letter, he's a Muslim, and he wrote a letter during Ramadan to his family and said, if I die, I want you to know why I became a police officer. You know, and we need to think about, th there are a lot of good men and women just trying to give back to the community and want to be part of the community and keep their neighbors safe, to keep their community safe and to help people. And we got to talk about all sides of this. There are absolutely profiling. There are unacceptable behaviors. We need to change some things, but we also need to thank people who keep us safe. Do you think that that issue, that law enforcement issue, could actually come close to maybe even tipping the balance in Michigan? I have been flagging it for a couple of months like Michael has. So, you know, we'll see. I mean, he's, I think we know Donald Trump is trying to. I'm trying very hard not to let that happen and have flagged it for everybody that this could be the trade issue and we can't let him use it as a wedge issue. He's not willing to have both discussions. I'm willing to have, I mean, it's not either or. Everything in this world is either or, it's both. We need to have both. Donald Trump is very good at dividing this country with fear and hatred, and I'm not gonna let him divide my communities. Congresswoman, it is uh, traditional after conventions that the party that has them gets a boost in the polls, but that's traditional conventions with uh, the crowds cheering, the balloons, the hoopla and the confetti and all that. We are having our first virtual convention right now. Your assessment of how it's going and do you think it's going to generate the kind of enthusiasm that you want coming out of a convention? So I can't, I, can't, I can't tell what I even think about this convention. Am I really happy I'm not in Wisconsin? I love Wisconsin. My brothers and sisters there <laughs> don't take it personally, but I'm glad I'm not in Wisconsin. But I do find myself missing that camaraderie, that energy, that passion, just sort of that energy you get. I mean, I, the last few years have been nightmarish, the security nightmares, the long lines, bad weather. But you see everybody and you see people you only see every four years and you share that compassion and uh, but wanting to do something to protect our country. So I miss that. I think they've done an amazing job the last two nights. I was sure that I would be I, I'm not really good at figuring out how to do these virtual watch parties with other people and, and sharing that. So I, you know, I sort of thought I'd end up in bed and might even fall asleep. Michelle Obama was incredible. Michelle Obama gave just the, one of the best speeches I've heard in my lifetime. And last night, Jill, Jill was great. I mean, I, you know, I've known her forever uh, and I wondered how she was going to do and what the country was going to think. And she was really good too. So I think, you know, there've been some 
really good speeches. I, I'm trying to, you know what I'm grappling with today is how we bridge the, and I'm, it's, I'm not just grappling with it today as we're having this discussion, but I've been thinking a lot about it. You know, when you turn 50, you're not old and over the hill and you're no longer useless. And young people, I think, are more impatient than, uh, I mean, I was impatient. I wanted the, we were kids of the 60s. We wanted it. But how do you get intergenerational connection? How do you get people working together? So you don't make somebody who's over 50 or 60 think they're a has-been because they're not, because they've got a lot of decades of life left in them. But how do you include the young people? And what we need to make sure is, I loved seeing Cindy McCain last night and Colin, and they're all my really good friends, as you know, but the young people aren't impressed with them. And how do we connect? How do we do that intergenerational connection? So what's the answer? Well, I'm spending a lot of time thinking about it. I mean, you know, we were, you see that Bernie's connected with them. So we got to figure out Bernie's not, a, I think one of the things is, I keep saying this to my own staff, and I know I, they want to, their days that their frustration level is probably well hidden. I talk English. I don't, I, I don't like, well, you know me, I say what I think. And I, I, I do, and that's what Bernie does. And I think a lot of, we've got to stop guarding every single word and, molding and shaping it to be politically correct to everybody and maybe just have some real discussions and share those visions that we all want. I mean, well, you know what I'm saying. Well, staying on the convention for a second, uh, you have said in the past that the Democrats aren't going to win by just being anti-Trump. They've got to engage voters on the issues. And so looking through that lens, do you think they have been successful doing that so far in this convention? So I think that we probably, there's, you know, a platform. I'm not, okay, so I'm really going to get in trouble today. I'm never, I made the mistake of saying this to several people that were on the platform committee. What do platforms really mean? Who looks at them again after they get passed? Though I am, I mean, I am somebody, I, I will not, Medicare for all for me is my lifetime goal. I, I do believe that I'm here right now at this time for a reason. And that's an issue I'm not gonna give up on. I it's not It's that. not in the platform. Correct. So um, that I just didn't vote. <laughs> you, you, did not, you did not vote for the platform either. Wow. Because I, and I, you know, I'm, I, you keep, you make, look, everybody has to remember who I am. You know, nobody really knows who I am. I confuse people. <laughs> they like to think of me as this, you know, yeah, I did work for, I'm a car girl and I'm proud of it, but I say what I think and I do what I, I and you have to remember my father-in-law was the author of social security and that he was the first person in this country to introduce universal health care and Medicare for all. And that John Dingle introduced it every Congress. Um, and I made him a deathbed promise that we were going to get it done. And everybody sometimes wants instant gratification. And it takes a lot of work uh, of working with people to get the job done. And if you, Social Security got passed because of the times that our country came out of. And it awakened the moral conscience of a lot of people that we needed to help our seniors who were destitute, living on the street, couldn't eat, didn't have places to live. It was a horrible stain on this country. Nobody looks back or knows what was happening to get us Social Security. And then Universal Healthcare followed that. His father introduced it. We, we, it took 20 years to get Medicare. And I've gone in and studied the whole history of how it finally came to be. And after Medicare, we got the children's. And, and when Medicare was first, it wasn't as inclusive as it is now. And Medicare came 
after another time of of disruption in this country, of real adversity, like we saw when Social Security was passed. Then we got children's health insurance. We've gotten other bills and we got the Affordable Care Act. But it seems to me coming out of COVID with the eyes of the world on us, we got to start talking about it. And I, I'm going to keep working so that every American has can go to the doctor when they need to go to the doctor and not worry about whether they can afford it, not worried if they get diagnosed with cancer, what good does it do because they can't get the treatment and that they can take the medicine that they need. And that, that is what I am gonna fight for. And Joe Biden knows me. Anybody who, there, there isn't somebody like a Joe Biden, they know the dingle history. <laughs> and I'm a dingle and I'm proud of it. And that's what I'm gonna fight for. Well, since you um, they ignored your advice four years ago, just uh, to to end this podcast, what is your advice to Democrats right now? If you had to reduce it to just a sentence or two, take nothing for granted. Listen to what people care about. Help define what November is about and what the future of the country is about. And I believe people are looking for leadership and that they're looking for someone to bring us together and to heal the heart and soul of this country. And they need to communicate that. And if they do, and they turn out every vote, we will win with a very strong and clear message. Well, on that note, I want to uh, thank you again, Congresswoman, for being on Skullduggery. And um, you've been a political forecaster uh, in ways a that others Cass- weren't. A Cassandra. A, a Cassandra. Cassandra. So you've given us some uh, some strong uh, warnings here today for the Democrats. Uh, it'll be interesting to see uh, how closely people think listen I'm going to get time. in trouble again? <laughs> that's, Not at all. That's, that's why this podcast is called exists. Skullduggery. <laughs> yeah, we exist to get people in trouble. That's what I we're here for. Really, I hadn't really, I just didn't vote on the um, platform. I'm not looking to, you know me, I'm just, <laughs> I'm going to do it. I'm going to bring people together. Thanks a lot. Good to see you again. Thank you guys. Take You're care. Always welcome. Take care. Thank you. Be, don't get in too much trouble. <laughs>